The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's me, Christelle Lim, co-founder and CMO of Bumo. As a busy working parent myself, I felt like there was a lack of options for parents and I personally needed more support. So that's what we're doing here on Being Bumo. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. So subscribe now to Being Bumo at applepodcast.com slash beingbumo or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, gotta go. See you guys soon. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. On this week's episode of Looking Up, I got to chat with Whitney Port, reality television star, entrepreneur, and mom. We talked all about mental health while filming a reality show, the manipulation that goes into reality TV and how storylines can sometimes be misleading. We also talked about the things that we are all learning about ourselves during this time, enjoying and highlighting the small stuff that brings us joy and the power of being transparent within ourselves and with others, standing up for what is best for us regardless of societal pressures, especially as a parent. I'm so excited for you to hear about her growth through loss, struggles, and what she defines as personal wins. Before we jump in to the core of looking up, the way that I love to start my podcast is to ask my guests a series of rapid fire style questions and just to get to know you a little more intimately. So don't put too much thought into it, whatever comes first to mind. All right. Wit. Has there been a book that you've read in your life that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? And if so, please share. I mean, I feel like I'm so cliche with this, but I just read Glennon Doyle's Untamed. And I feel like since reading that, even though it's pretty fresh in my mind, since I only read it about a month ago, I really feel like I highlighted stuff and I'll go back and reread things. And when I have certain anxieties or issues, there are certain mantras from her book that I feel like stick with me and help me breathe through things and make me remember that everything is just a phase. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. I feel like I used to have this issue more when I was on a reality show before social media, but I think people used to think that I was just like a victim and everything was happening to me. I really feel now like I am more proactive and like making things happen and not so passive. Mm. Three words to describe yourself as a teenager during your high school years. Oh my gosh. Just like goofy, easygoing, and I don't know, blase. Maybe easygoing and blase are kind of the same thing, but I was just always like an average student, didn't really get too invested in school. I wish now that I was more invested in school. You know, I sometimes I think like school is wasted on the young, but I think that I was just very go with the flow. I wasn't like a high anxiety type A child and I'm still not. Last time that you cried probably a couple of days ago. And by probably, I, I think it was Thursday <laughs> in therapy with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and three things without much judgment or thought that have brought you joy today. 
my morning walk with my son, my coffee, and I know it also sounds cliche, but I guess the weather, the fact that the sun is not out, the gloominess makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel the exact same way. And I've always been, uh, (laughs) I'm just not a sun person at all. I appreciate it. I've lived in other parts of the world where there wasn't sun. And I definitely am like, I appreciate LA, but I'm just not a sun person. I I love overcast. I love overcast too. My husband has made me appreciate it more. I was always very typical SoCal girl, loving the sunshine, loving the beach, loving, but now it's like, you need a little bit of ver- variation. It just becomes, yeah. you don't want to take the sun for granted, I guess. <laughs> Are you an optimist? And wh- how do you define optimism? So I think I'm working on becoming an optimist. This year, as hard as it's been for everyone. And again, I do not mean to sound cliche. This has been the hardest year for me in terms of I've really had to work on myself this year. I feel like it has not allowed me any space to be like without myself, you know, like I'm not running around being super busy, getting ready for things, running from one thing to the next. Like I'm just constantly in my own head, like in my own world with only my husband and my son. And so it has forced me to do so much self-reflection. And it's also the first time that I'm really like in regular therapy. And I would say, if you asked me a couple months ago, if I were an optimist, I would probably say no, just because I feel like I was always going to worst case scenario when I was thinking about things. I mean, I shouldn't generalize and say always, but a lot of the time I was going to worst case scenario. And I was like thinking about how terrible things were going to be before they had even happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And I still sometimes like dip into that. And I know this sounds so silly because it only feels like I'm changing. It feels so new. And so I'm not saying that I have it all figured out, but I'm realizing that the more I'm focusing on being in this moment and not letting my mind take myself to that worst case scenario or that conspiracy theory mind that I'm finding myself to be more of an optimist and that things don't always turn out to be the way that I envision them and that they usually don't. And I think that part of that mindset came from losing my father. I lost my father in 2013. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that death just made me think everything was kind of just for nothing. And everything was kind of going to turn out sour. And I was never really going to fully enjoy anything. And I was always going to have some sort of like anxiety and stress about something. The grief just always really, it just helped grow those things. You know, grief was like the water that was, you know, nourishing these ugly roots in me. So I've been working really hard on trying to change that with my husband, with myself, doing daily meditation, working out almost every day, which is something that I was doing earlier in my life, but I stopped for a while. Now I'm doing it more and I'm realizing again, the positive impact of that. And also trying not to be too hard on myself. Yeah. Optimist is someone that I think wakes up and is seeing things with a glass half full mentality. And I think that I'm becoming more and more like that each day. Yeah. And, you know, 
a true optimist is actually someone who sees the glass when it's half empty as well. They mm-hmm. see the the negatives and they see the less than ideal situations. They're very mm-hmm. aware of them and mindful of them, but they're able to hold that emotion, whether it's anger, fear, disappointment, sadness, grief. But at the same time, they have space in that same experience for hope that this shall pass and something yeah. different will come and things will get better, even if they don't know. And especially when they don't know exactly how or when. So Mm -hmm. the cool thing about that is I think we have this notion that an optimist doesn't have any room for neutral or negative feeling emotions. And Mm -hmm. actually that's like part of being a human and humans are willing to experience the full range of emotions. And an optimist is someone that actually can just hold both. And it's this idea of duality and resiliency. And so I think that's so interesting. And and you're so right that it takes, it takes work. It takes Mm self-work. It takes mindset shift. It takes, it's a, it's a lifestyle, a practice every day. It's not something despite what people feel that you're either completely born with or not, or something that just drops into your lap because you asked, you know, the universe for it. Totally. Like I used to think that I, when I would say to my husband, like, I'm working on it, you know, I'm working on it. And, and that was, I don't think I actually was because I know now what I'm doing. That's actually so mindful, like connecting all of the dots and working through those bad emotions. Cause I think you're right. It's not about not having any negative feelings. It's about knowing what to do with those negative feelings and not letting them take over your entire being. Exactly. It's like that, not letting it take over and paralyze you and also not thinking that the way to deal with it is push it under the rug. You got to right. head on, go and deal with it. it. You sort of talked a little bit about this idea of not really being sure if you want to have a second kid. And I think that's yeah. so cool that you're transparent and open about that. Cause I think so many people and so many of us have those emotions, but it's just another one of those things. That's like society just sort of tells us that when you have, first of all, when you get married, it's like, when are you having a baby? And then after that, it's like, when is you having your next one? Right. Mm -hmm. When's the next sibling? And, and I think that there's so much validity and realness to your emotions about not really being sure. And so many people Mm -hmm. can relate to that. So Mm -hmm. how has that been? I know you have mentioned that you've been in couples therapy Mm -hmm. and that it seems like your husband's like very ready for a second child. How's that been dealing with that? The hardest part is knowing that it's something that Timmy really, really wants, you know, and it makes me so sad to think that I could be in control of something that would make him that sad, you know, and it puts, he's not putting guilt on me, but I feel guilty about it. And I think that is a natural human feeling to have, even though it has nothing to do, it's completely like self-imposed guilt. But I, I obsess over it. I think about it every day and I feel like I put it out into the universe a lot. And I talk to so many people about it because I feel like I'm waiting for someone to just tell me something that will click, that will make me know whether I want it or not. But just like with everything, when it comes down to really like making your life happen and manifesting your life. Like you are the only deciding factor. Like you are the only one in control. It doesn't matter what anybody else is going to say. I mean, you can take their opinions into consideration, especially people that you trust, but 
for me, it just feels like this huge response. Like it's my choice. It's yeah. like this huge responsibility on me. And I don't want to make the choice. Like yeah. I want somebody to just make it for me. And so I've gone in phases where I've gone off my birth control and I've just been like, oh, well, let's just let fate take its course and see what happens because then I'm, I'm not in control. Whatever is meant to be will be. And if I get pregnant, then like I will happily carry this child, but I then will have moments where I panic and I'm like, Oh my God, but if I woke up tomorrow and I was pregnant, like how would I actually feel? Like, how would I handle it? I just keep on going back and forth. And I think right now I'm in this phase, like I was telling you, of just really trying to take care of myself and take care of my, my mental health as so many of us are doing in this stage right now. But I'm trying to do that before I really make a, a decision of what I want, because I think it's so important that I, I work on my own anxieties before I'm ready to be a mom to a second, because it just inevitably brings more having a second kid. It's like, it's going to bring more stress. It's inevitable. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, now you're going to go the first six months without sleeping. You know, you're going to be more pressed for time. You just know that it's going to be more stress. And so I find a hard time then like balancing out those negatives with the positives. Like I sometimes, like I was saying, my, my natural mindset is just to them focus on all the negatives and I can't really see the light and the positives. So uh, I wish I had an answer. I'm just kind of free flowing, telling you exactly what I'm thinking about it. But I think that it will happen. I think I'm one of five kids. I know the power of siblings and how meaningful those relationships are and how they shaped me and how they shaped my, how they shaped me into being a person that I am actually really proud of. And I want it for Sunny and I want it for Timmy. I just kind of have to get over the sacrifice. Like I have to just be okay with it. And just, you know, that's not to say though, that when the baby comes that I can't complain. No, of course not. You are allowed full complaint. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's so powerful Yeah, to like talk openly about some of the fears and definitely the sacrifices and all of that. I think that a lot of times as women, we're just sort of, it's assumed that this is what we do. Yeah. And anytime that we do complain, it's almost like you're also not allowed to do that because what if you couldn't actually have a child? And you're, you know, there's, and that's something that for us, I was sort of on the opposite where I wasn't necessarily one of those people that were like, I needed to have kids by this certain time. I was kind of scared. I knew I wanted kids, but I was really kind of scared of the whole thing. I was one of those people that like at nine years old was scared about labor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like just uh, my Achilles heel is like medical stuff. And I've always, I I I work myself up when I get like a blood draw. Same, 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 same. When I was pregnant, it was like either way that however it was going to happen, I was either way, I was just scared shitless. And I actually had a really traumatic pregnancy and a traumatic birth and all of that. But what's so crazy is like maybe seven, eight months, you know, postpartum, I was like, not ready at that moment, but literally ready to talk about doing it again. And no I, it, it shocked me. And that's when I went into the you know doctor and I was like, what happened to me? I know something really bad and traumatic happened, but I was so focused on my baby 
yeah. that I didn't really know what the emergency situation was and, and what did it mean going forward. And so anyway, we found out a bunch of stuff and realized that I couldn't carry again. And it was so nuts because then obviously all I wanted was to carry was again. That, yeah. <laughs> Even though I, you know, I had a number of things wrong in my pregnancy and I still would have done it all again, which is nuts. And now obviously I'm, I'm very scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to have the second or yeah. yeah, of what life is going to look like. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, a little bit about what it is like to have a newborn, but you don't know what it's like to have a newborn. And a yeah. Toddler. And honestly, like my son's three and I kind of forgot, like I yeah, actually, I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I forgot what to do. And I'm like anxious about it. And I, you'll pick it back up again. You know, it's like, we didn't know anything before going into having the baby. And then all of a sudden you're, it's there and you just learn, you just figure it out, you know? And I feel like it will probably come naturally to you. I'm more nervous this time around because I'm like, it's obviously so different. And I carried our first and I went through all of that and I'm mm-hmm. like, will I connect? And you will, you know, I, I wake up like in the middle of the night sometimes right now. And I'm like in tears. Cause I'm like, where's my baby, you know? And like, right, there's right. a power in being open and transparent because there's so many people out there. So many women that can relate to these things on both ends of what we talk mm-hmm. about. And I just don't think that any of it is shared enough. And so you even speaking about and so openly about like the fears and anxieties and even partly like, I like my life and do I want it to change? Um, yeah. Do I want to give up these certain things that I know I will be giving up bringing another child? I think these are all things that are so important to talk about. And I think it's amazing that you're courageous enough to be transparent and to share because I'm sure so many women are fully like, yes, I can relate to that. And it's not just an assumption to be made about you because you're a woman that you want to have a million babies. A hundred percent. It's one of the things that people talk to me the most about, because I think it's something that women can feel really shameful about. And especially when I had the miss, I had a miscarriage a year ago. And I, when I miscarried, I was like semi relieved when I miscarried, which was like a really unnatural horrible feeling for me to have. I felt like a monster that I felt that way. I, it was one of the more nerve wracking conversations and podcast episodes and that I actually had, I I was afraid that people were going to think that I was just like a horrible person. And it turned out that actually so many women had a similar experience. And so for me, this community is just as much for me and like venting and knowing that I'm not alone as it is for all the other women, you know, that feel the same way. So it's the thing in my career that I feel really the most proud of the community that my husband and I have built where everyone can really just be themselves and not care about what anybody else is thinking or is doing or what path they're on. I really don't want to live that life. And so I feel like if I can show that, that what's actually going on inside this crazy brain on my social, that other people will want to be that real and that open and like feel okay in their feelings as well. How do you think that this Whitney right now evolved mom super transparent and open with how you're really feeling and and strong in that compares or differs from 
Whitney on the Hills? I really feel like I'm the same person that I was when I was on the Hills. I think when I was on the Hills, you know, you have editors and producers that are making you into the person that they want to make you into. They're chopping up conversations and they're, they're creating this character. I think for me, like I've always stayed true to myself. Like I always on the show, I never did anything I was uncomfortable with for the sake of drama. I always wanted to be the voice of reason for people. And I think that I'm still that person. I think I've obviously matured and I'm trying to enjoy things a bit more. I think when I was younger, like things were happening, happening so fast. And I was on this reality show that took off so quickly. And there was just so many amazing opportunities. And I think that I wasn't really very present in my own life and appreciating all that stuff. Now with age, I feel more, more sense of like gratitude and appreciation for what I have and not trying to be that person that's always looking for more that like Mm -hmm. get something. And then it's like, Oh, well, what's the next step up? What's the next best thing? I am really, really consciously trying not to be that person. Cause I think that's who I was and it's just not a healthy or happy way to live. Yeah. And so many, so many of us, even especially in this world of self-help and the manifestation, which I feel like so many people are over the last few years, it's like either people get really excited when you say that word or there's like a big eye roll yeah. <laughs> we're at that point. Right. But it's this like idea of constantly wanting, yeah. constantly wanting more. And it's interesting because the way that the brain works is if you actually give yourself the space to enjoy what you've already created mm-hmm. and worked really hard for, mm-hmm. your brain actually like starts problem solving more deeply and starts becoming even more productive and you Mm -hmm. will achieve even more things. But a lot of times I think we're just so used to wanting and wishing for something and wanting to manifest it and then creating it and then moving on to like the next thing and the next thing and the next Mm -hmm. thing. And it's almost Mm -hmm. like, why would our brains feel like there's any point in that if there's no reward? Right. If we could spend half as much time actually enjoying the things that we have today that we've worked so hard to create I promise you we would create more. So I think that that's so interesting and important. And that is something that I think comes from experience and practice and and evolution in our own lives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that a a lot of people can really work on right now because there is so much more to have and we should be fighting nonstop for certain things. And obviously for our democracy and our social justice and everything, like there is more to be doing. But right now it's like, we are just stuck in our own homes with our families. There is no getting out of this. There's, we don't really have a choice at the moment. So it's like really try to appreciate this world that you've created that you may not have had the time or the wherewithal to notice. I've spent more days now in my backyard, just sitting and watching Sunny swim or actually even being in the pool. Like I was, I was, I've never been the fun mom or the fun person that will just jump in the pool or jump in the ocean. And I've done that more this quarantine than I ever have before. And I'm like, that is something to celebrate, yes. you know? Yeah. I think that we all have a responsibility to ourselves and to our families right now to like look around and try to appreciate what we do have. Cause if we don't, then yeah, I don't know. It's scary to think of what can happen if we don't. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And there's little things that I've really like held on to that I would have mm-hmm. never gotten the gift of 
had I not been in this situation. And partly it was like, you know, just selfishly having my husband around. Like I always worked from home. So I was sort of in and out always and and very hands-on with JAG, even when I am working because I'm sort of in and out. And my husband, Mm -hmm. he had a a big commute. So we were in the middle of moving, not that he's going into the office now, but it was so interesting. We were wishing for just one meal together and we were moving our whole lives so that we could have dinner together. And then like all of this started and we had every Every meal together, together. which, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, that's enough. But, (laughs) you know, the grass is always greener. Of course, of course. But I wanted to ask you back to the hills and and sort of all of that. How did you even get into reality television? How did that start? So it all happened really organically for me. Like I never wanted to be on TV or be an actress or anything, but I had a fashion internship at Women's Wear Daily one summer and I found out that Teen Vogue was hiring interns for the fall. And I was starting USC. I had transferred to USC from Boulder. And I was like, this would be so awesome. Teen Vogue was so amazing at the time. And I was like, I could have an internship on the side while I'm in school. Like this is a dream. Mm -hmm. So I went upstairs with my resume because Teen Vogue was on like a couple floors above us. It's that big building on Wilshire and Crescent Heights where Condé Nast was. Yes. I took my resume up there and I was like, I'm here applying for the Teen Vogue internship. And they said to me, awesome. However, we're actually filming a show with MTV. So anybody that applies for the internship has to be comfortable with being on camera. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I'm still going to give you my resume. Yeah, I'm sure I'm down. So the next thing I know, I get a call from a producer from MTV saying like, can we do a casting tape with you? And I was in Missouri with my family at the time because we go to this lake in Missouri every summer called Lake of the Ozarks. And I was with my family and I had to set up like a whole before Zoom or anything. I mean, this was like 15 years ago. I set up a camera on my parents' bed. I remember what I wore, a vintage t-shirt with rhinestones all over it and cut off jean shorts. Anyways, long story short, I do my casting tape. They call me a couple of days later and they're like, can you come back to LA and film an actual on-camera interview with the editor at Teen Vogue? So at this point, I'm like, I still didn't know if I got the job or whatever. And so I'm like, oh my God, yes, cool. <laughs> and they had told me I they were starting to film a reality show based on like four girls living in Los Angeles. They didn't tell me who anybody was, but just like four girls working in various industries like fashion, music, blah, blah, blah. So I came home for my interview and I'm sitting in the waiting room and in walks Lauren Conrad, who was on Laguna Beach and I had watched Laguna Beach. So I knew who she was. And I was like, oh my God, am (laughs) I, am I on Lauren Conrad's spinoff show? Like (laughs) she, this must be, cause I knew I had heard she was moving to LA and they were going to follow her here and film a show about her. And I was like, oh my God. So still though, I didn't know that I had gotten the job. So I did my on-camera interview and- What did they ask you? Like for reality, like- They asked me like who my favorite photographers were, who my favorite designers. I had zero knowledge of anything. I was so naive. I have to watch, we're doing the city reaction episodes or videos on my YouTube and we're considering doing the Hills next. So it'll be so funny to actually rewatch this interview. But I remember having horrible answers, just like so young and naive. And basically MTV, I think 
not, I think they had already cast me at this point. They knew that I was going to get the internship. They knew that I was going to be like Lauren's coworker at Teen Vogue and everything just happened organically from there. Like I got the job and then really it was my relationship was with the producers telling me like when to come into work. It, it all happens that naturally. That's such like a LA. You totally. <laughs> a fun LA sort of like, I think people just assume and expect that that's just happens all the time in LA, but it's actually like kind of so rare. rare. It's yeah. so rare. And like the other girls that were on it, Heidi was Lauren's friend from school. So she just organically integrated onto the show. And then Audrina actually, I think they had met at like the pool where they were living. So everyone, none of us sent in casting tapes. And I think the reason it worked well was because none of us were really dying to be on TV. And I think that can make a really good show because the people are not motivated by fame. What would you say, if at all, was a negative or less than ideal situation or something that came from being on a reality show? I think it aided in this conspiracy theorist mentality where everyone was trying to do stuff to get like a rise out of me or to create drama because I could never really trust anybody. Like I didn't know if the producers were trying to manipulate me or if people were coming on the show just to be on the show or if they want to be my friend or if they really like me. And so it forced me to question everything. And I think that that has kind of stuck with me a little bit and it's unfortunate. Yeah. No, I can totally understand that. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine also like that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And like, I get that. I think that's so interesting that you talk about one of the things that came from that is this mentality for sure of like everyone's watching and how, how is the situation being manipulated? And yeah, I don't watch that many reality shows, but there's some that I'm like, pretty diehard about. Yeah. And it's so funny because my husband and I have the same ones together. So it's like a very, it's a bonding thing. Yeah. But like we watch not necessarily The Bachelor, but Bachelor in Paradise. Oh, That's so a big good. one. And we yeah. both definitely watched The Hills like in our own times, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Together. Yeah. So after seeing that, we watched this show called Unreal. Do you know that show? It was kind of like, I think it was a lifetime show, but it was sort of, I think it was obviously very based on, it seemed like it was based on The was Bachelor. Was it the show with, um? The, it's like they're filming The Bachelor yes, and yeah. she falls in love with The Bachelor, right? It's and like from the producer's the manipulation. Pers- yes. yes. I was like, oh my gosh, like how, I'm like a grown adult and I'm, you know, my background is in clinical psychology. And like, of course there's part of me in the reality show where I'm like, this is not, you know, this is, has to be somewhat manipulated, but like, yeah. then really like I allow myself to get like, to just go in, right? To like be fully like, invested. Yeah. 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 And then you watch something like unreal and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, is this like the level of manipulation to get a good storyline and all this stuff? I never like put it together what that would do to someone's psyche moving forward and how you're so right. That would obviously, especially at that impressionable age, like yeah. go into, especially a reality show where like so much is blended between like whatever the character that you are meant to portray and your own real life. And your own identity. Yeah. It's your I real remember. name. It's your, yeah. you know, you're not playing a character, but you kind right. of, you know, so it's. It's like they wanted me there. There was this obvious enemy on the show. Right. And they really, I really didn't care. Like in my normal life, I wouldn't confront her. I wouldn't even, she wouldn't be an issue for me, but for the show's sake, 
the producers like desperately wanted me to confront her and they kept on saying, Whitney, if you don't confront her and if you're not like a little bit harsh with her, or, like show her who's boss, the editors are going to make you look like you're weak, like she's walking all over you and you're allowing this to happen. And like, you don't want to be that person. Like you want to stand up for yourself. Wow. And it was constantly having to have those conversations where I'm like, are they telling me to be this way because they really believe that? Like, are they my friends? Cause they also, they get so close to you. Right. I mean, my husband was a producer, like you become so impressionable. So you're constantly questioning what, what feels the most true to you. Yes. And so that, yeah. And like constantly second guessing the whole who thing. Who you are. Probably. who yes. you, Yeah. And who you are or who, how people perceive you versus who you really are. It's all convoluted and confusing. And I think I haven't really talked that much about it, but I feel like it's, it could be an interesting thing to talk about in therapy. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. I'm like, to be honest, it was what I was like most interested in. It's just this, yeah. like, I've had a few guests on the show that come from, you know, reality background. And I'm always so, I'm really interested because when you think about it, it's such a weird, like it makes the best television, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, it's, you feel like you're in someone's living room and like who as people, we are voyeuristic, like humans are voyeuristic. Of course that like everyone wants to see it. And we feel like we're very much part of, part of this life that's like Mm -hmm. real and, and how, how characters and people interact. I mean, it's literally like a sociology, psychology experiment. Experiment. Yeah. So for me, like coming from my background, like I am just deeply fascinated and I have so much respect for someone that goes through something like that or is within that. And like how, the challenges you worked through and how you kept Mm -hmm. your mental health intact. Mm -hmm. Well, there are not that many of my type of characters cast on TV shows because we don't really cause drama. And so I'm not like the typical reality TV personality. Like, Like I wouldn't be cast these days for one. It was more old school, but I think about now, like people do the show because they're doing it for the fame. They're doing it for the money. They don't care what anybody else thinks about them. They're not self-aware enough to really even kind of do this work. So that, that I feel like is an easy mentality. It's more for the people that are not doing it for that, that you're like, how is this affecting you? You know? And, and like, I watched Leah, the real houses of New York. Do you watch that one? No. Okay. There's this girl on there. That's the first character in a really long time who I like love. And I feel like everything she says is like so spot on. And she's like the voice of reason. I just, I'm like, I want more people like that to be cast. You know, like, I know that you need the drama. Why are we so obsessed with always watching train wrecks? Like, can we also watch someone? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, during this quarantine time, I think I was craving like just some every time, every hour was so go, go, go. And by the time like literally 8 p.m. hit after putting my son to sleep, I'm exhausted. And like, all I want to do is something like just have something on that's like kind of mindless and entertaining and light. I wanted Mm -hmm. that. And I got really stuck into watching Southern Charm. I was like, I became obsessed. And I think part I of it, watched that one. part of it is because like what I was watching was from like 2000, 
I think 16 or 17. Yeah. And I think part of it was just, it was so nice to just go back to like a time that was very recent, like Mm -hmm. not so far back where it's like a full on nostalgia moment, but it was like just far enough that it still felt like life right now, but without all the shit of 2020. I know. I feel the same. Like when I'm, when I'm watching reality right now, I'm like, oh my God, they're out. Like, it's so cool to be seeing these people out at a restaurant, you know, know. or like seeing them at a party or whatever, like having a backyard barbecue. Like you, yes, I think our, our brains are yearning for that kind of normalcy because it's, it's just not part of our lives. Yeah. Like I have been playing tennis and that has been like my, what my outlet where I get out of the house and I actually feel like everybody needs some sort of outlet or something. I mean, I was talking to my doctor the other day, just like my regular internist. And he was saying how important it is that everybody like gets out and does some normal stuff, like whether it's go to the grocery store or even sit on a patio and have a drink at a restaurant. Like we all need a little, like a little, little dose of that in our lives. Yeah. I feel like I've been saying to my husband, I'm like, I really want to pick back up tennis. Cause that was something I enjoyed a lot younger, Yeah, but also like, I'm not ready to do the like restaurant thing. So I think yeah. like, I think for me, like something like tennis, that could you don't be your to, thing. Yeah. Like yeah. that could be my thing. And, and everybody today, has yeah. their own comfort zone. Timmy and I went to our first restaurant a couple of weeks ago. We were in Montecito at first. We we're like, Oh my God, are we really doing this? You know? And then we did it. And now I don't know. I think that you have to go at your own pace and maybe tennis could be that physical activity, like bring it full circle. And I'm competitive. You have fun. Yeah. And like, maybe, maybe your physical, your physicality needs to have like some aspect of competitiveness to it. I think it does. I know you're working on so many different things. You've got the podcast with Mm -hmm. wit, you have a rent the runway collection, which I think Mm -hmm. is so cool. What's looking up for you? What can people kind of, how can they see more of you and expect to see? And then also just what are you hopeful about in general? Okay. I mean, I think what I'm hopeful about is kind of like all the back end work that I'm doing on, well, my life and my brain, but also on my, in my career as well. Like I'm redoing branding, I'm redoing web design. Like I'm actually taking the time to not be so actively posting and producing content, but really just making sure that like the back end works properly and I have a good infrastructure. And so this time has forced me to look at that. And I'm really hopeful and excited about all that. I have a candle collection launching on September 24th with a really cool home goods company called In Favor Of. And I never thought that I would be able to do something like this. And quarantine, this is another thing that quarantine has allowed me to do. I was just inspired and started talking to this home goods company randomly on Instagram. And then I was like, they were like, would you ever want to work together? And I was like, yeah. And then all of a sudden now I'm making designing candles with a ceramicist in Joshua tree. Like, so I'm so excited about that. And then people can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port. My podcast is with wit. My YouTube is just my name. My husband and I do the city reaction videos every Wednesday and Friday. Yeah, that's that. My favorite thing about you and what gets me sort of following your voice and and your stuff is just your transparency and how open you are to 
share what you're going through. And I think that is so cool. And I admire that and respect it. So the last thing and how we end uh, looking up is that we pick a card from my very own, my little baby, not my toddler baby, but my yeah. my product baby. Yeah. From my things are looking up optimism deck of cards. Okay. And if we were together, you would pick it yourself. But since we're not, I'm picking it for you. So I'm shuffling them because they're going to be, okay. we get a random card. This is exciting. Okay. All right. This one's your card. Ooh. Just for today, instead of making a to-do list, make a to-da list or better yet, an I did it list. Jot down things you already did. It's amazing how accomplished you already are. And the day isn't even over. So this is your homework so for today. Valuable. As I'm sitting here with my to-do list oh my right gosh. next to me. Oh my gosh. So I need to. Yes. Instead of making the to-do list, which oftentimes can be stressful and overwhelming, yeah. make a to-do list at the end of the at the end of the day or in the afternoon of all the things that you've done and don't leave the small things out because they count. And so much of what we do is invisible work. Mm-hmm. And it's so just such true. a great way to be like to increase our self-mastery and competence and confidence. Yeah. And like really pay attention to those things because you would just glaze over them and not give yourself any credit or give yourself the confidence because you are not aware. You're not like making yourself aware that you're doing it. Especially like these days where I feel like, you know, at the start of this, I feel like everyone was like, if you haven't written a manuscript or like discovered gravity, during like a quarantine, then like, what have you really been doing? Right. Everyone was so hyperproductive. Yes. Yeah. And you can like really, and I know for myself, and I know there's a lot of other people that can relate, like being a working mom in the time of pandemic where you have toddlers and that are at home and not in school or wherever your, your kid is homeschooling or whatever age, eight hours in a day just goes by with like making sure that your family has food and that you take a shower and that you drink water. And these are just as productive, if not more, and they're purposeful. And we just Mm -hmm. kind of can look at it and be like, gosh, I'm not doing anything, but like, we're doing so much. So much. You're so right. Okay. I'm going to do that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for chatting and coming on. I had such a great time and my pleasure. We'll connect. Okay. Thanks so much. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info on how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Sade by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.